Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Holt. I'm a functional medicine nutritionist with a feisty attitude in over a decade of clinical experience. I work with women all over the world through my online programs, and I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Academy, a 12-month practitioner mentorship where I help other nutrition pros level up with functional medicine methodologies. I've got a bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model that are both systematically failing so many of us. Creating a new model is my life's work, and this is what the show's all about. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. If you like what you hear today, I'd love for you to subscribe, leave a review in iTunes, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive deep. All right. To all of my Organifi loving friends, get excited. Get ready for Organifi's newest product, green apple juice. Yum. It's like a healthy apple juice with all the benefits of the original green juice. If you don't love the taste of the original green juice, this one is for you. It's made with organic apples that are hand-picked, Golden Delicious, Northern Spy, Macintosh, Ida Red, and Empire. So real deal apples are up in this blend. It also has the added benefit of 600 milligrams of ashwagandha, which is an adaptogen that helps the body cope with stress and can balance out cortisol levels. It also has really potent and nourishing green plants like moringa, spirulina, and chlorella. It's so good. You're going to absolutely love it. Order it today. Head to Organifi.com forward slash funk, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash funk, and you can save 20% off your order with the code F-U-N-K. With the state of the world over the past couple of years, so many of my clients and listeners have told me that their sleep has really been impacted. So I feel I'd be doing you a massive disservice if I didn't introduce you to our sponsor, Ned, because they have a solution for you. Ned's full spectrum hemp oil is extracted from USDA certified organic hemp plants. It's grown by an independent farmer and his family in Colorado. Now, Ned's co-founder and I sat down and had a really lovely conversation about sourcing and farming practices and how they chose their farm. And this company is the real deal. I've been using these products for a while now with incredible results. So Ned's best selling sleep blend offers a natural solution for a good night's sleep. It contains CBN, which is a powerful cannabinoid that promotes sleep. It has seven 150 milligrams of CBD. And it also has uh, organic and wildcrafted botanicals. You all know that I love Nervine herbs. So it has oat straw, lemon balm, passion flower, skull cap. These are herbs that help to relax the body and promote sleep. If you need help unwinding at night, I highly recommend purchasing the Dream Set because it also contains Mellow, which is their awesome magnesium blend that features GABA and L-theanine. This is a non- negotiable in my nighttime routine lately. If you'd like to conquer sleep with Ned's dream set, Functional Nutrition Podcast listeners get 15% off with code FUNK. Go to helloned.com forward slash FUNK or enter code FUNK at checkout. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash F-U-N-K to get 15% off. Thank you, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. Hello, friends. So last month, I re-released an interview that I had had with Jessica Flanagan a few years back. I had just been kind of stumbled upon the episode and re-listened to it, and I'm like, gosh, this is just gold. And I wanted to reshare it here. And I'm so glad I made that choice because lots of you have reached out to me to say, Hey, oh my gosh, I had never even originally heard that, um, or never heard the original episode. Thank you so much for sharing. And some people were like, I heard the first one and I needed to hear it again. Jessica, who is my friend of mine, reached out to say that a lot of, um, people, uh, reached out to her after the show too. So definitely a good call. Um, and I'm going to do the same thing again today. Dr. Kristen Zames is a friend and a colleague of mine. I've talked about her on the show before. She's been on the show before. You know, if you've been familiar with my work over the years, you probably have heard me talk about her. 
she's been instrumental in my own health. We collaborate on a lot of different uh, clients and cases. And I really view her in much of the same way that I view Jessica Flanagan, which is she is a thought leader. Um, she is doing things that other people are not doing. And she's really paving the way for others to follow suit. And I just cannot say enough stuff about her work. So I had, um, she, she's gonna, she's going to be on next week's episode, new, fresh, fresh stuff. We're talking specifically about the pelvic floor, which is one of her areas of specialty. And if you don't know about the pelvic floor, you need to take it from me, (laughs) take it from me. I learned the hard way. So all next week, we're talking all things pelvic floor and how to know if you've got some dysfunction in that area of your body and what to do about it. So with that said, I really wanted to introduce you to the the big stuff, like Kristen's real passion points. And I thought that that just so came out in this interview. It was originally aired in March of 2019, so three years ago. And the conversation is as relevant today as it was three years ago. Not much has changed. You have heard me talk about medical gaslighting quite a bit. You have heard me talk about women not being heard uh, in medicine, in the conventional care model. And many of you have experienced it. Um, And so we're going to talk about that on today's show. Now, Dr. Dr. Kristen Zames, just to give you a little bit of a background on her, she holds a doctorate in physical therapy and she owns, she's the founder and the owner of Oceanside Physical Therapy in Stratham, New Hampshire. She has been doing this work for over 15 years. Um, she opened Oceanside in 2011 because she was just really frustrated with the healthcare and medical system. You'll learn more about that today. It just became so overwhelming to her as a practitioner. She felt like she couldn't make the change that she needed to. She couldn't help people in the way that she wanted to. So she broke away renegade style and and created her own thing. Um, And the community and the environment that she has created at Oceanside is unlike any other. It's it's truly a place of healing and collaboration and support. And I just cannot say enough good things about, about them over there at Oceanside. So have a listen to today's conversation. It was originally titled, What to Do When Your Doctor Doesn't Believe Your Pain. Something that we were talking about recently was the whole Selma Blair thing that came out. So I don't know if you guys saw that, but um, Selma Blair sat down with Robin Roberts on Good Morning America, and it kind of went viral. So it was all over uh, Facebook and, you know, the World Wide Web. And um, her story, I mean, literally moved me to tears and probably a lot of other women. Um, She, just to kind of throw it out there in a nutshell, um, after she had her son, she was feeling really bad. And she kept going to her doctors over and over again, saying, I feel really bad. Something's not right. Something's going on in my body. And I don't know what it is, but I know it's not right. And uh, she was not heard. She was not listened to. She was misdiagnosed. She kept being sent away, away, away. This went on for seven years. And it wasn't until she fell down in front of a doctor that somebody took her seriously and actually listened to the words that she was saying. But by then, it was too late. She had um, a pretty serious case of MS. And so on the video, you can see her. She struggles to talk. She struggles to move. She walks with a cane. This is like a pretty hard-hitting case of MS, and we just have to wonder, we have to question what would have happened if somebody had listened to her seven years ago and taken the word she was saying at face value. Um, Listening to that and listening to her to her speak about this was like watching an allegory of our healthcare system because women aren't being heard. Um, in fact, I'm not even sure we're, we're being listened to. There is paternalism, there's male centeredness and even misogyny in healthcare. Now I've experienced it firsthand. You guys have heard my story before. Um, I spent a lot of my life talking to doctors saying like, Hey, something's wrong here. And, um, simply not being paid attention to, um, and there's a lot of stats to back this up. So this isn't just my experience. This isn't Selma's experience. This is all of our experience. Um, 
physicians are more likely to interpret men's symptoms as biological, whereas they see women's symptoms as a result of mental illness instead of physical illness. Women are seven times more likely to be discharged and misdiagnosed while having a heart attack, like a freaking heart attack. <laughs> Men are treated more quickly in ERs. Men are sent to intensive care units more quickly and more frequently. And medical professionals spend more time with male patients than female patients who have the same exact symptoms. Women are up to 25% less likely to be prescribed painkillers when they describe the same symptoms of abdominal pain as men. So basically what's happening here, all these stats back this up, is that men's complaints are seen as real, whereas women's complaints, eh, not so much. And when we start to layer in intersectionality and we comp compare black women to white women, it actually gets a lot worse. Um, a black woman in the U.S. has worse health outcomes just kind of across the board throughout her lifespan than a white woman. Um, and this is including but certain, certainly not limited to being three to four times more likely to die from pregnancy or childbirth related causes than white women. So uh, what happens is that women, we, we go into our doctor's office and we report real physical problems or real physical pain that we're experiencing. And what happens is that we're frequently dismissed, we're written off, or there's comments thrown our way that are belittling or demeaning. And we're made to feel like we're overreacting or we're attention seeking or we're too dramatic or we're complaining. In fact, I saw my chart a couple of years ago by accident and that's exactly how it was listed as my complaints. And when we think about things this way, it starts to make us feel kind of embarrassed and we start to feel really ashamed about this. Like this shouldn't be happening and hey, maybe it actually is all in my head. We start to internalize that belief. This is all in my head. This isn't really ha happening. I'm, maybe I'm crazy. Um, I've certainly had plenty of clients whose doctors had actually said those words to them. For example, your IBS is all in your head. That has happened, that has been spoken. Um, what happens often is that women are offered antidepressants or anti-anxiety meds, which kind of reinforces this idea that like, this isn't a physical problem, this is just a problem up here. Um, and so when this happens, we don't want to go back to the doctors. When something's wrong, when we know something's wrong in our body, we don't want to go back to the doctors because we know that we won't be taken seriously and we're just too embarrassed. We, we internalize that stereotype of the over emotional, melodramatic woman and none of us want to be seen that way. So we start to second guess ourselves and this can delay care, right? I'm sure Selma Blair, after a few years was like, well, maybe I'll just kind of stay tight-lipped about this. Maybe I shouldn't go back to my doctors because I'm embarrassed. And on top of all that, there is real gender disparity in medical research um, that not really many people are aware of. So historically, most biomedical research comes from male studies. So we're looking at men's bodies and how men respond to things. And for a long, long, long time, this is just now starting to change, but for most, most of the time, the medical community has equated normal with male. So we're basically overlooking 50% of the population. And my thought is like, hey, just because you don't understand female anatomy or just because you don't understand female hormone cycles, just because there's not enough research to back that up, don't doesn't make these problems any less real. Um, so Kristen, I know as a physical therapist who does specialize in women's health, you hear a lot of these stories. I mean, we've talked about it before. And I know that you see a lot of these chronic pain female patterns, whether it's vulvodynia or interstitial cystitis, endometriosis, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, which are all these syndromes that are basically a collection of symptoms. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts. If you if you see any interplay between sexism in healthcare and these syndromes or chronic pain. Uh, thank you. That was a great intro. Um, it's great to listen. Um, yes, I do. I, I think I, day after day, I see people sitting there like 
curled into themselves, like not making eye contact, there's already this pattern of shame that's been developed. Like they are pretty convinced I'm gonna be another person that's not gonna listen to them. So they're kind of timidly giving me information or downplaying their symptoms. Um, and by the end of it, usually their posture changes. They might be lifted a little bit. You could just see their whole body relax. Like, oh, oh, you think what I'm saying is real? Like, oh, you know about this information? Um, I'm, you're not gonna tell me I'm nuts or just, you know, you should exercise more or, or whatever it is. I spend a lot of time listening and I'm just always amazed at how many people say, you're the first one who's listened to me. I, you're actually hearing me. Um, and I just get mad. I just get so pissed that it's like, how am I the first one that's been, that's listened to you? And I know people don't have time. And I know, you know, part of what I think is that, you know, healthcare and medicine used to be a service industry. Um, it used to be, and like, if we really look back, it used to be delivered by women. And it was a service industry where we delivered a service of care. And now it has moved to a business of commodities and those are pills uh the doctor's time and procedures and uh, that alone that transition i think has driven providers and the business to reinforce um really the the, the sexism i see and and really just the, the fact that so many people are not heard all the time do you think, so I know that you and I have talked a lot about chronic pain and you, you, you teach a lot about this, you uh, have online programs about this, you do workshops about this. And by the way, if you guys haven't heard Kristen speak, you have to get to one of her workshops. They're incredible. They will completely change your, your viewpoint on your body. Um, but chronic pain is, is a real, I don't know, have any stats on it, but it's a real problem in, in the US. And I mean, chronic means it's been going on for a long time. Why do you think this pain goes on for so long? Do you think part of it is because people are delaying care? And if it, if it, if it does go on for so long, does that, I mean, is there any way to reverse that? So, yeah. And I think that was what's so, um, so encouraging about the research that has come out about the brain in the last five to 10 years and, and our really evolution of our understanding of the brain and the neurological system, because it paints a picture of resiliency and neuroplasticity. So basically anything can change at any time. We're always changing, we're always evolving. And that's not the picture you're given when you go into a provider's office. Um, and so, yes, I think chronic pain and what's interesting is the even the language of chronic pain, like the, my world is, is really um, trying to change that to persistent pain. So persistent, even just the language makes that sound like, oh, yeah, it's been nagging me for a while, but it can change. Chronic is like, oh, I'm screwed. This isn't going away. Um, so there's a lot of messaging involved with your every interaction with your provider. And so language is a very big deal. Um, I think that, yes, I think the longer something persists, the more physiological changes occur, whether some of those are triggered by your emotions and belief systems. Um, and not just from a psychological hysteria, it's in your head. I, I mean, these are networked together. So when you have an experience, um, there's emotions, there's belief systems, there's the physical pieces of it, there's the sensory information of smell, touch, um, taste, all of those become networked together in the brain. And so every medical experience you have, if you go into a provider and you're given, you know, negative messaging, you're led to believe that, you know, you're making it up, it's in your head, this isn't real. And then you have those physical symptoms. Those are all tied together. So add seven to 10 years on that. Um, and you know, your muscles begin to at atrophy. The nerves actually begin to act differently. Your, the brain map begins to change. So there are physiological changes that happen that make the pain easily triggered more so than it did before. So you're really, it's, you're really set up for, for, a condition that's just really hard to eliminate 
But that's not to say it's not going to go away because once you understand this and once that you shift from that belief system of I'm screwed to I'm resilient, that's a really empowering shift. And basically what I think I do every day is really try to help people make that shift because there's just so much information that, um, you know, that, that makes it so that they don't believe that they are resilient and, there's so many aspects to that and every one of them are just as important as the physical injury that was there is there you know it's just it's it's complicated but it's sort of beautifully complicated that means you're resilient and we can change and that's what i i try to get across day after day that idea of resiliency was something that you've been you i mean over over the past few years you've instilled in me and i don't know if i would have been able to recover in the way that I have, um, whether you, you want to say put an autoimmune disease in remission or just, you know, mitigate the pain or whatever. Um, it's, it's because I truly now understand that my body is resilient. Whereas before I didn't, because, you know, exactly like you're saying for so long, I, I, I wasn't heard. And so then I, be, I became really like ashamed. And I also lost a lot of trust in the medical system. I lost a lot of trust in myself. Um, I just didn't know what was right and wrong anymore. Is this real? Like what's happening in my body? And then once I did get the diagnosis, it was like, you have this, you have scleroderma, you have joint hypermobility syndrome. These are things you'll no longer be able to do because you have this. And so I had this whole idea. In some ways it was great because it was validation. Cause I was yeah, like, oh, definitely. you know, like, oh, I, I told you guys, I was like, something was really wrong here. Uh, so in some ways, in so many people, uh, um, so many of my clients, when we do kind of uncover some stuff, they're like, oh my God, I know this is messed up, but I feel so good knowing that something's wrong with me. Like something's physically wrong with me because before I just thought I was crazy. Yeah, but, you have to name it. Like there has yeah. to, the, the information and understanding what's happening is so essential to making that shift. The, you know, confusion is, is the worst. Confusion and fear just become tied up together. Um, so naming it, understanding it is, is really essential to moving forward. And so when you're talking about these um, networks in the brain, it's a kind of a complex thing to understand. But, you know, you're saying confusion and fear, boom, like tied, those are tied up together. So when you're confused, you're automatically going to trigger fear. Got that. Um, for me, everything has always manifested so physically. So when one thing that you helped me understand is that there's a neural network in my brain, right, with stress and pain. So when I start to feel stressed out, my body registers that as pain. Yeah, and well, so you think of your your stress is a uh, is a detector of of there's a threat detection. So anywhere it's like this, you know, detectors of like doot 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 up threat. S stress is a threat. Somebody yelling at you is a threat. Inflammation is a threat. But in the brain, the brain organizes that information and interprets it. So once those networks are tied together, you know, pain is that output for for you to recognize, hey, something's not right here, check in. And it's not, we have just been led to believe that pain means injury. And so when that doesn't necessarily uh, compute or make sense, it, you know, it's, oh, you, you're nuts, that that gets tied together even more. So yes, stress, but it's it's tied together from, you know, like we talked about the, the lights in your house, you know, like the electrical system of your house. You ever have a, a light system where you're like, dang, what the heck does this light go? Why does like two lights keep coming on every time I do this one light switch? You know, it's a, it's, an, it's a wiring issue and it's the same way with the brain. So if you have those two wired together enough, you know, maybe you have a physical injury, sprain your ankle, and there's a protective pain that's that's still an output, but it's accurate to say, hey, don't don't walk on this. But you actually get stressed out. So maybe you're actually very anxious and you're thinking like, why am I so stressed out? The same thing can happen the opposite way where, God, I'm really stressed today. Oh, look, I my my back hurts today. So it's it's like the wiring. They're not they're, they're tied together. The light switch goes off at the same time now. And if there's a lot of threats, right, if you perceive a lot of threats, whether that's just from, you know, years of trauma or years of dealing with this or, you know, whatever, if there's a lot of 
the threats do I would imagine that kind of all the lights go on at the same time maybe yeah all the lights or, or they can trigger and so pain's like the the output that says hey pay attention to my body so what i try to get people to realize and this is years later when we've we've worked on a lot of the physical issues it's been identified so we know you know kind of what the the physical threat is and there we've taken steps to mitigate that but all of those other aspects that are tied to that experience the shame, even walking in my office, walking in a doctor's office, walking in a provider's office can, you know, sort of activate those networks of shame. That's why, you know, they're not little things like the paint on our walls. I want it to be calm. I don't want you. I, I don't wear a lab coat. I, I don't want this to feel like a power play here. Um, all of those aspects go into trust and advocating for yourself um, and not el eliciting some of those neural networks that are negative, which then are tied to pain. And I think that it's, you know, t talking more about a, a societal problem and a systemic problem, I think that female shame goes really, really, really deep. So it's probably kind of laying dormant and then, you know, a, a situation like this re-triggers it too, just for females, like kind of across the board. Um, so you're, you're talking about being your own advocate and honestly, by the time somebody gets to me and probably you, it, there might be some level of, I don't trust other practitioners. Like there's a, there's a, a trust component missing and there's also this, I have to do this myself. I am my own advocate. I mean, that's certainly how I felt for a very long time and quite frankly still do. I have to do this. And I, what I've. I've seen a lot with my clients with long-term health stuff is there's this hyper vigilance um, in the body. And I know that you see that a lot. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I've, it was it's interesting this last month. And um, when we, we started talking about that, I've, I've seen a lot of it. And yes, I, I see a lot of people that have had complex histories. And so there's just layers upon layers and, you know, I always chuckle with the insurance company. It's they're like, okay, you get six weeks. You're like, yeah, well, let's let's unwrap this in six weeks. Um, I mean, there's it's 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 a healing process, you know. And neurologically, healing takes a year to two years. So it's it's a you know it's a journey. It's a road that you're you're working down. So I've I've seen quite a few people lately that have made such significant strides physically and even moving mentally into this you know, advocacy, empowerment, resilient place, but they're still doing things like journaling everything they eat and drink or, um, you know, just their thought process around the awareness of their body. Oh, I, you know, my, my right toe is hurting. I think something's starting. It, it's, it's really, it's, it's all downhill from here. And it's neurologically what happens is that, you know, your detector system is just on high alert all the time and the interpretation becomes um abnormal and sometimes inaccurate too so yeah your right toe like remember when things used to hurt randomly and you're like that's weird oh nope no big deal goes away like that's normal and people that have had an illness or pain you forget what's normal you forget that normal, healthy systems, you have kind of pains that don't make sense, or my elbow hurts for a minute, and then it goes away, or God, I feel a little stiff today. But when you've had something and you've fought for so long, none of those seem little or normal, and you don't let go of them, or you don't have a context for them, and they can flare everything up. So we actually end up working on you know, calming those systems down. Or I'll say to somebody, why, why are you journaling everything you eat and drink? And, you know, they're like, I don't know. That's, that's what I've done. That's what's, you know, that's what got me here to advocate for myself, to tell people to make it like I'm not making stuff up. And we have to put it in context. And I said, just stop that for a while or stop, you know, thinking, you know, in, in your case, I was I was thinking like, gosh, your your work must be hard because you're you're in the same sort of battle for your clients that you're always that you've been in for years. And so 
it, it sort of reinforces all of that. And once you start talking about, you know, are we still at war? What, like, I think the war's over. We are still battling. You know, it. there's fear, but there's this like, oh my God, you're right. Like, let's stop doing that. I, I don't want to think about this all the time. I don't, I don't want to. It's like, just wake up and have coffee and have lunch. And even just something like that is like, how do I do that? So we work a lot then on, you know, returning to just what normal behavior is. And that is so foreign to people who have really been in battle for so long. Yeah, I have a very, very challenging time to lay down my sword. And as you know, the, the work that we do together, obviously I love dry needling and, you know, I love the PT stuff that you do, but it's always the conversations that I have with you that where I walk away with the most benefit um, because it's just helping me understand and understand my own connections. And once I find that once I'm aware of them, it, they, they, they don't exist as much anymore. Not to say they don't exist, but they have less power. They have, they dictate my life less. Remember I, just a couple weeks ago, I was voxing you and I was like, I had, a cold and I started to freak out like, oh my God, I have this cold. My immune system must be all freaked out. Am I going to have an autoimmune flare? What does this all mean? I thought I was healthy. What's happening? And I had to stop myself like right in my tracks and be like, I have a cold. It's February. Everybody else in the freaking world has a cold. <laughs> yeah. too. This is normal. This is actually a normal yeah. thing. This is is your goal to be superhuman? Yes. No, that's a <laughs> bad goal. You are going to always feel less than superpower. But I also think that like when you've been on the healing journey for so long, you kind of forget how far you've come. And I think that's some of what you're saying right now. I have a, a client who we've become very, very close friends. And um, she was just saying, and she'll, she would feel comfortable with me saying this, but she, she was just saying yesterday that um, she is... Like she's kind of saying like, I can only do, I can only do 30 to 40 minutes of cross country skiing. And I was like, I can't do that. Like that's yeah. hard. Like I can't <laughs> do that on a good day. So the fact that like, that's your, you know, like just remember how far you've come and kind of compare that to like what's actually normal. But she also brought up something really major that I want to say here because I feel it. I know a lot of my clients feel it and I want to hear your thoughts and how we backtrack out of this, this feeling of, even when we're feeling good, it's very hard to trust that. And it's this this feeling of like, if I don't watch this, if I don't stay hypervigilant about this, if I'm not on top of this, then it's going to spiral out of control again. Let's take a quick break to thank our show sponsor, BioCult. Their boosted product is a multi-strain probiotic, four times the concentration of the original formula, which is why I prefer it. All of their probiotic strains are backed by clinical research. It really makes a great everyday probiotic. I just had somebody on Instagram reach out and say, this stuff has changed me. Thank you. So it's a great product. And the cool thing about it is that there's no need to refrigerate it. So you can take it with you when you're traveling, which I highly recommend because most of our guts get really jacked up when we're off our schedule, when we're traveling, when we're doing things that we don't normally do. So taking a probiotic with you is a good bet. You can give it to your kiddos. Those, uh, the capsules can break apart. You can sprinkle it into yogurt or oatmeal or add it to a drink. This is what I do for Hattie. I put in a little shot glass with a bit of water and she just shoots it down. So head to their website using the link in our show notes. Use code FUNK15 to save 15% off of your order. Let's talk about our latest sponsor, Dry Farm Wines. This is truly a vision board partner. I've wanted to partner with them for a while now, as I've personally had a Dry Farm Wine subscription for years. Now, I'm certainly not suggesting wine is a health food, but joy certainly is. And personally, for me, there's just something about cooking a healthy meal with some music and my family and having a glass of wine. It's just Honestly, it's one of my favorite experiences, but unfortunately, I started to react really harshly to wine a few years back. I literally remember crying to a friend um, because I'm like, I just do so much for my health. I don't want to have to give up an occasional glass of wine, something that I really enjoy. Now, we talk a lot on this show about processed foods, but what I 
actually did not know and didn't understand at the time is that wine can be extremely processed as well, which is why it can make you feel like trash even when you're only drinking a glass or two. There are 76 additives that are legally approved for use in winemaking. So this include dyes, thickeners, and GMO yeast. And so many of my clients have yeast uh, allergies and yeast sensitivities. So it makes sense that wine makes us feel not so great. And the top 20 wines sold in the U.S., contain high levels of sugar. And we know that sugar can make us feel not so great. So I actually found out about Dry Farm Wines on a podcast a few years back, and I was stoked because they use, um, it's organically, biodynamically grown, it's sugar-free, low alcohol, and they source wines from small family growers, all of whom make their wine by hand. And supporting these family vineyards really helps to preserve the healthy soil, the biodiversity, and support natural farming practices. So if you're like me and you want to have some wine without feeling horrible, check out Dry Farm Wines. For Functional Nutrition Podcast listeners, they are offering an extra bottle in your first box for a penny. They can't give it away for free because it's alcohol. So make sure you head to dryfarmwines.com forward slash Funk to sign up for your first box. You get free shipping delivered straight to your door, and I hope you enjoy. Yeah, I mean, and that—that's what you see. That's why people remain hyper vigilant. But neurologically, what's happening there is that you know you've basically just turned the volume up on all of those neural networks that are tied together, because you're aware of them to such an extent that you're triggering them. So I think once people understand, oh, there's a there's a negative effect to this and I actually may be triggering um, the 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 network, the the output of anxiety or pain or, you know, even really inflammation, then they start to say, oh, there is a scientific reason to start to train myself out of this. and it's baby steps. It's just like everything. You have to start slow. So if I said, okay, you're journaling everything you eat and drink. What about, what about if we try just three days? I'm not saying ditch it forever. If that elicits too much fear, it's too much. So what about one day? How about this? You know, you, know, you, 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 you have to find something. And I'm suggesting things, but I'm always looking for my patient to say, does that feel like attainable? Is that a reachable goal or not? And if the answer is I'm too scared, it's too much. So then we find uh, a smaller step. And if, the, you know, we need to land on something that they say, okay, I, I think I can do that. Little out of my comfort zone, but kind of okay with it. Yep, let's do it. And then what happens? And once you start realizing, oh, something positive happened from that, it's like you just got on this train of like, yeah, screw it. Now I can I can let go all of these things. And it's just like the armor comes off. And I think one important thing to help people let go of that is to say, look, we have a couple of markers and you have a team and here's what we're going to do in case. You have to have kind of like a management, an in-case plan, a flare management plan, just so that you can eliminate some of that fear where you say, look, if X, Y, and Z comes up, like, look, you get blood work every three months. So, you know, this is going to come up like it did last time. Or, you know, dry needling works for you. So if something starts to come up, give me a buzz. You know, so that you have this plan of like, okay, I have a plan if something happens. I think that alone reduces so much fear that there's an in-case plan. And if there's an in-case plan, then that gives a lot more freedom to you know step out of your comfort zone because you know you have a support network to catch you. Yeah, that's such a good point. It's like having a safety net. And when you know the safety yeah. net's there, you know, you, you feel, can jump. Yeah, you feel, you can jump and you feel more safe and I think a lot of this is just about instilling those feelings of safety in the body versus fear. Um that that's that's exactly what you did for me when 
I, I had a doctor tell me yoga is not a good a good thing for you. And I was like, oh, that's that's what I do. That's like who I am. Yeah. So that's tough. Um, and you were like, all right, you kind of got me to a place. And then that's exactly what you said. Dry needling works for you to get you out of pain. So if you do the yoga and you feel the pain, we have a safety net to get you out of the pain. And just knowing that gave me the courage to go to yoga. You know, so it's I, I love that. Yeah. That's that's awesome. Yeah. And that's, you know, th those are the messages that are are really crap because it's just such a generalization. And I think that's what gets us into a, sort of from a healthcare perspective into um, trouble as well is generalization. So if we know that most of the research is based on men, um, you know, we, we, we really, there's just so much we don't know. And I think, you know, you have to have providers that understand what we don't know. If somebody is really, um, you know, they're, they're, they really think what they're saying is exactly right. Um, I, I, I don't trust them. You know, like I need somebody to have a conversation with me about what we know and what we don't know, because what we don't know is vast. And for women, it's like the wild west. That's what I tell people that all the time. I'm like, look, it's the wild west out there. We're just kind of getting our crap together. There's women providers, researchers, scientists now. They're, they're working as fast as they can. They're figuring stuff out. But right now, we just have, we're working with our information. We know we're resilient. Let's go with that. And let's have baby steps and see, you know, it's just trial and error all the time, trial and error. Because each person is their own study. Did that work? Yes or no? Move on. It's like a choose your own adventure all the time um, with help. Yeah, that's why I get so bent out of shape. I mean, talking about diet specifically, when people are like, this is the diet for everybody. It's like, uh, no, it's not, because that doesn't exist. Um, our bodies are so unique, and that's a really cool thing. Um, it's always just like an N equals one experiment. Yeah. Try things. You know, if it worked for your cousin Sally, sure, try it, but just understand it might not work for you. You might need another approach, so just keep keep going until you find something that works. Um, and we're, a lot of the stuff that we're kind of throwing around, it's, it's like this mind-body connection, right? And I think people can, what we're trying to say is that your body is resilient, your body does have an innate capacity and power to heal, that our thoughts, our beliefs, our experiences, our emotions affect our physical body and they also affect our ability to heal. I sometimes find that people resist that a little bit because what they hear when they when they hear about that, they sometimes internalize, well, I created this, this is my fault and it's all in my head, which is not the message that either of us are, are saying at all. No, not at all. And, and also, if they don't have enough information or there hasn't been a defined, not necessarily diagnosis, but sort of scientific explanation to their dysfunction, I think there's more hesitancy there too, which I get. Um, you know, sometimes that's a hard place to be because we don't have a, a real scientific understanding. I think that the science, because we're all sort of raised in that culture, there's a real validation in understanding that piece of it. And that's why I love, you know, all this evolution in the, the brain science, because to me, it's the nervous system in the brain is like the science that should lead you to explore different avenues and look within more than externally. Um, and, and once you look within, it's a buffet of options, you know? Um, I, I get that all the time where people are like, oh, I went to, you know, someone the other day, I went to a well-known physiatrist. Um, they said, I have hypermobility syndrome. I finally have an answer. I need to do Pilates. I was like, well, that's kind of a very <laughs> straight line, you know? Um, one, we've been talking about hypermobility in, a, in different aspects for a while, but it was, it was sort of packaged as a real diagnosis. Um, you know, like you have diabetes, you know, it's our like, okay, like that's, it's legit, you know? Yeah. Um, and Pilates is the answer. And, and generally Pilates is slow and it focuses on some of the body awareness. Um, and I think, yes, often it can be a good place, but I also had someone else that was like, you know what? Every time I go to a Pilates class, I just haven't had a good experience. I'm like, well, you know what? Pilates probably is not going to work for you. If you hate it, it's not going to work. 
Like, I, you know, the same thing with yoga. I just get really frustrated when it's like, oh, you have this, do yoga. I'm like, well, I like, I love you. I, any movement that you love can be good for you. And we can make you do it better so that you use your body in the best way possible. But like, you know, it's not a pill. Yoga for back pain, Pilates for hypermobility. It's, it doesn't work that way. I can find pros and cons to every form of exercise. You know, if somebody comes to me and they're like, CrossFit is my life, I love it. I'm not going to say, eh, it's a terrible form of exercise. Don't do it. I'm going to say, okay, let's talk, let's look at how you're doing it. Because if you're already telling me you love it, let's see how we can make it better. Let's see what maybe isn't working so well for you. But I'm not ever going to tell you to not do something you love. If you love it, it's going to be good. We just have to make it better. Um, and that's, I'm always up against, you know, I'm like, I feel like I'm, I'm putting my pennies in the penny jar. And then someone like, they go to another provider and they like dump out the penny jar. I'm like, come on. I was just, <laughs> we were working on that. Like we were getting there. And, you know, those messages can be so powerful. Um, and I, I, I just wish the healthcare system and the providers within it, and there are fantastic providers within it. It's just overall providers are not given all the information and then we all go out there and the ones that think, ooh, I have all the information, you're already, you're already uh, probably damaging people with some of the language and the information if you really think that you have all the information um, and that you're like, the, you're the pill, you're the fix. Mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's the danger. Yeah, and I feel like any practitioner that feels like they have all the answers should probably bow out of being a practitioner because none of how the hell are any of us supposed to have all the answers? Give me a break. Like that you know, I started this show by mentioning paternalism in healthcare. It's like and it's easy to blame the doctors, right? It's easy to blame the medical system, but like we're all colluding in that, that whole idea that there is the expert that should tell me what to do with my body. Like we're just kind of seeking that out, right? And so then there's practitioners and doctors that are in, like being put in that position and then they're kind of just like following suit. And they're like, all right, sure, I'll tell you what to do. Here's a pill for every ill, you know, whether it's bodies or something else. I know, and that's why I, you know, I advocate for people and for certain providers. And so when, you know, we, I help somebody build a team, you know, I try to match personality and I really am cautious to have somebody go to somebody and then get negative language. I met with a, a provider, like a, 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 a doctor who does nerve blocks a couple weeks ago. And um, he said, you know, I just really try to un help these women understand that this is something they have to live with and they're, it's never going to go away. And I was like, ah, why would you say that to them? You are out what? of my team, Doc. I'm like, out you're, of my team. you're out. You're, <laughs> you're, Wait, you're fired. Can you um, explain what a nerve block is for somebody who doesn't? Okay. You know? So if, if you, it, it's one type of procedure that helps to sort of, I'm putting up air quotes here, break the pain cycle. Um, and it can, you can use, um, like, uh, it, it anesthetizes, so it sort of numbs that nerve. A lot of it, some of it's diagnostic to say, hey, does this pain you're having, is it coming from this nerve? Um, and, you know, it's one procedure that can be very helpful. Um, but again, it's in context, it's not the pill, it's not the thing, it's not the fix. Um, so if I sent somebody to this person, and we've been working hard on all the other aspects of their experience and the fear of movement and, you know, restoring good movement. And then they go and somebody tells them that it's just it's just going to be there and they have to deal with it. And, you know, of course, the next thing out of his mouth was, you know, most of them have had trauma. I mean, it's just those two combined sentences back to back are like you could just reverse somebody's progress in an instant with your lab coat and your experience and uh, oh it's just so i was like you're off you're not on my team so speaking about team you know you've mentioned that a, a couple of times during this conversation why do you think building out a healthcare team is so important you know what are the benefits of having a team in place you had said that 
healing, you got to give yourself a year to two years to heal, right? It's not a six week thing. And I've said this countless times on the show before. That's why if somebody's reaching out to me to work with me and they have a cap on how long they're willing to invest in their healing, I, I have to say no, because I'm like, I don't, you have to at least just make space for the fact that this is going to be an ongoing process, right? At the very least, just manage expectations. That's one thing I think we both try to do. Um, but so if, if, if we're in this for the long haul, why does it make sense to bring in other people? So because we all have different skills. Um, and I think being a physical therapist and going to school and thinking I'm coming out of school, people have you know, certain injuries and I'm going to help fix them. It's like, that's the mindset, which is totally reversed me now. I'm, I'm sort of helping people more than I'm the fixer. You know, I, I love being the fixer. I, I love when, um, I can give somebody tools and they feel better, but I think the more and more I see people that have been in this situation medically that have just not had answers and their story ha is year after year, um, and how complicated it is, the more, team members that need to be on that on that um you know helping so there might be you know therapists and talk therapy is really helpful um i'm a physical therapist i can help you move i have strategies to help you feel better but i'll you know they're all they they overlap quite a bit you know you're you're the gut person um you know how how should i eat how should i what's wrong you know that all of those aspects go into it and there's so much like our systems are not um, in isolation. And e even though the system's really fragmented and we were all educated to be very specialized, that's not how our bodies are. Our, you know, like the gut's not like, you know, a separate, um, separate does do, does separate jobs than than the brain there's actually more connections. So we, we can go to a neurologist and we can go to a gut person, but really there has to be a conversation of how they all go together because that is our experience my experience and my body is that things are connected and you know why does that hurt when i do this or and why does my stomach get um a certain way if i get stressed or you know it, it's connected and so our experience is a connected experience but that's not how medicine is so the only thing we can do now is con connect the dots ourselves become an advocate um and and try to put together this team team and that are all saying very similar things that are all reinforcing that you are resilient um so you may need a nerve block you may need somebody um to work on the medications that you're taking you need a a, a provider uh, a medical provider to be kind of your your medical watchdog um you need a physical therapist you need a nutrition person um you know you need all of these people and you, then you need therapies that like feel good. You need friends that are a support system, friends or family. You, you know, you do dry needling. Somebody goes to a float tank and feels great. The next person feels claustrophobic. What great. Don't put it on your team. You know, what, what are from a, my job is to help you identify all of the aspects that really can help downregulate your nervous system, which means just make you feel normal again. Like things are in context and, um, you know, it's at the very easiest. You think, what brings you joy? Like, the they have to they have to be on your team as well as the as the medical providers. Um, so a lot of what we do is mapping that out and saying, who's who's on your team? And a lot of people don't have a team because nobody that I've heard of, a provider wise, is saying, okay, here's this diagnosis. Now, what are you going to do? Who's your team? I'm this person. Um, so that I, I, I think the team is really important because then you get different pieces of information. I'm not going to pretend that I have all the information. You know, I, I have certain specialties. Um, but the, the, the more people that are on your support team, I think the more effective it is. Okay, so I have two follow-up questions to that because I'm kind of anticipating what people might say in response to that. But what about the money? Shh, yeah. The money, Lebowski's. I know it's, um, you know, this is when I say, okay, well, I, I find that a lot of providers that are doing this well are cash based now, which is really hard. And I'm in a hard place because we've dropped some insurance companies that like, you know, like give us pennies. I'm like, okay, I'm paying people to come here. I can't do that. But I do feel an obligation to 
maintain some insurance coverage for this reason. But I also think us providers, we need to get together and work with the insurance companies. But but that's like that's tough. You know, I, you know, I, the, the time management piece of it. OK, now I, now I have to lobby insurance companies. It's like, gosh, dang it. Like, you know, I think as a whole, it, there needs to be change that happens and we need to go back to the service industry. Um, so that's a whole nother conversation. But from uh, I think I think you need to prioritize it. You know, um, this is a, a personal story, but my son was diagnosed with epilepsy last year and I was thrown into this as a parent like, oh, my God, I need a team. And I've I work, I own the business and I've had to cut back my hours because there's so many damn appointments to figure this out. You know, there's OT, there's a neuropsych, there's counseling, there's the neurologist. I mean, and I'm the one putting this together. So I kept going back to the his one provider saying, what about all these other things? And, you know, she was like, yeah, those are great. I'm like, well, who's helping me? Like, I can't, and, and I'm the, I'm not the sick one. So I imagine every one of my patients who's the one in pain and brain fog and all of the, all of the, you know, stuff that surrounds being sick. And now you're the one who has to create your team. You need an advocate to, to do all this. I mean, I can be my son's advocate. I'm not sick, but if you're sick, I can't even imagine. But you know what? I've needed to create a team. And it's just been, it's such a long process and it costs a lot of damn money. Um, but, and, and I know, I mean, I'm in a position to do some of it. And I know certain people aren't. And I think that I, it just, you know, I, I think that's a really hard place. But I think what I do with people then is say, okay, where, what, what do we think the priority is? Like if the priority is the gut versus exercise, maybe, you know, um, then we say, okay, how about work with Aaron for a couple months and, um, you know, see if you can get some nuggets of information and get going on that train and then come back and maybe do some classes. Um, I, I think that when you look at it, like you can walk and move, you know, it doesn't all have to be, a million dollars so it does cost some money but i think if you can prioritize where you need to spend and then go, what information you need to to move forward and then just know that you keep moving forward and then you pull in those other pieces along um but i i completely empathize because the amount of anger i have when i go back to one doctor I mean, and I'm like, you haven't helped me at all. Like, you haven't even called to ask me about my son. You're useless. You're off my team. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, it, it's, it's been, I've have, I have even more empathy. I had empathy before, but like, I can totally relate to that, the, the journey through healthcare, and it's a very difficult one, and working is hard and, and living is hard when you're trying to navigate this crappy system. I think one thing, one experience that helped me shift my perspective a little bit is I was on on the Google. I w it was at night. My daughter was in bed. This is a few years ago. And I was like frantically looking for answers and looking for answers. And my husband said to me, he's like, Aaron, I think that what you're doing by shouldering 100% of the responsibility of finding answers and getting better is creating such a stressor for you that uh, it is, it's kind of doing the opposite of what you're trying to do. He's like, I think you need some help. And that was like a real pivotal moment because I didn't realize how stressful it is to be your own advocate all the time and to find your own answers. And sometimes we have to do that because we have no other choice. But that's really when I was like, okay, I'm going to invest in a team of people that I trust. And it was money well spent. Did we have to restructure our life a little life a little bit? Yeah, we sure did. I wasn't working at the time. So like, you know, we took some financial hits uh, for sure. But honestly, I just am so grateful for that conversation and so grateful for um, my willingness to ask for help at that time too, because it made a huge, huge difference. And a lot of the stuff, Kristen, that you, t that you talk about and that you tell people to do kind of comes free of charge. I mean, you, you talk a lot about appropriate breathing. I mean, a lot of the things to calm down the nervous system 
don't cost money, whether that's breathing or walking in the woods or, you know, doing the things that, that bring you joy, whether it's spending more time with family or whatever, right? Those, those don't cost money. I have found, ironically enough, that those are the things that are, people are less willing to do. When somebody's feeling bad, they're like, just, all right, whatever, I'm going to spend the money on, just like, give me the supplements, give me the pill, give me the thing to do, give me the thing that, you know, versus like doing less or like resting or I don't know, like the, I, I found in my experience, those are the things people are less likely to do. Like I'll send somebody an EFT video and they're like, yeah, I didn't do that, but I, I ordered $600 worth of supplements. I'm like, well... Yeah, I, I mean, you know what, because really this is like the real stuff, like it gets deep real fast and it's your it's your coping strategies There was, and your life skills. There was a study, um, most studies are done on like why things go wrong or, you know, patterns that evolve people who don't get better. There was a study done on people with persistent pain conditions, um, ones who sort of self-select um, um, themselves for doing well. Um, and the patterns that came up were, um, flexibility, um, and resiliency. And they sort of s s reflected on their life skills and said that they had the ability to reorganize constantly. So th they're like, okay, this is coming at me. I, I, I hear you and I'm going to change and I'm changing my purpose. So, um, there's just that flexible reorganization of, what their purpose is in life. And those were really the people that were, you know, sort of self-proclaimed resilient, managing well, they didn't have to use many services or they had a team, all of that. So I think that, you know, that doesn't cost any money, but it sure as heck isn't easy. Um, you know, probably all goes back to childhood and, you know, emotions and, you know, it doesn't have to be trauma. It's just the patterns, the belief systems. It can, it can, it just gets deep real fast. And you have to have the ability to look in and not say, I'm nuts, say, I have the ability, despite the cards I've been dealt, to, to be in a place that I want to be. Um, and that's free, but not easy flexibility is like almost a dirty word to a control freak like myself I mean, I know. flexibility what <laughs> i can't i know that. and the, but that's i you know i see that pattern a lot in patients you know i laugh sometimes because i i, I have this sort of vision in my head of of this uh, a male patient who came in one time and you know he had I believe he was post-surgery, like it was a back surgery, had pain for a long time. He just didn't care. Like he had such bad symptoms. He had to have surgery. I mean, his leg was like, he was falling. There wasn't feeling in his legs. It was like a very significant, like your disc is herniated and, and compromised so much that like your right leg isn't working, you know? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, I got it of surgery. He came in for like two appointments. He's like, I feel fine. Like, he didn't care about anything. He was like, yeah, I'm sure I'll be fine. I mean, and, and that can go the wrong direction sometimes when you don't listen to yourself at all. But what I take from that is, like, he was so flexible and trusted everybody that he was like, yeah, it's all good. It worked. It worked out fine. And it just worked for him. And luckily, luckily. But those are not most... His, his philosophy is not what I usually see, you know, it's that, um, and I think women culturally have grown up for many reasons to, um, have a different thought process. Um, but I, I see that a lot. It's like, we are conditioned in different ways and I see that play out with illness. Um, and so that is a real big part of it, though, thinking about how we're conditioned and why we're conditioned that way. Um, so it, it, it's it, it gets deep for sure. So to kind of like pull it all full circle where what I think what we're trying to say is, yeah, there's a we see the problem. We, we were women. You know, we are living in it. We see the problem. Women are not being heard. They're being misdiagnosed. They're being sent out, you know, 
to kind of like go out on their own. My thing is like, if you, if you don't have a, a provider that listens to you, find one who, who will. Um, but at the same time, we build up in do in, in doing this, like we build up this high alert mentality that like, I always have to be on alert. So I think what we're saying is like, get the answer. If something's going on with you. You got to get the answers, like trust your body, trust yourself. You're the expert on you. You are the expert on your body. So, you know, figure that out. But also once you figure that out, you have to like lay down the sword at some point, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, you know, if you don't have information and you know, something's wrong, some something's wrong. So find somebody that's going to help you. Um, and then there's diagnosis, there's healing, then, then you have to, you know, yeah, lay down your sword, the battle's over, but how can you um, get to that place where you have, you build enough safety nets that you can say, okay, I, I can let go a little bit because I know I've built some, some, a couple markers, some safety nets that they'll catch me and then I'll pay attention to that. Um, but I don't have to pay attention to everything and everything that's networked and potentially going to trigger pain, which will just keep me in battle. So a lot of the work that you do and some of the things you're building out are really helping people determine what their safety nets are and how to find them. And, you know, not everybody listening to the show is local. If you guys are local, definitely check out Kristen, check out Oceanside Physical Therapy. They're all phenomenal there. They're, they're amazing. You don't have to just have pelvic floor dysfunction to go there. It's any, everything from top to tail. Um, and like I, like I said, <laughs> we should put that on a shirt, <laughs> but just, um, understand too, that some of the conversations you're going to have with those providers are some of the most rich conversations you'll have. Um, honestly, at least in my experience and many of my clients experiences, but if you're not local, Kristen, there is some stuff that you're doing online that people can access. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So, um, I work with a wonderful practitioner, her name's Sage Wheeler. Um, she's sort of a little bit of everything and she does this, um, it's called the, the 4D wheel that was developed by um, Gina Ogden. Um, you know, we kind of combined an online program that gives a lot of this information on pain science and the evolution of the brain to help you understand that scientifically there is a reason to build out a team and to look at, you know, your thoughts and your emotions and your purpose and um, and the physical symptoms all together. So we kind of combine an online piece. And so we have that available. Um, but also we're, I, you know, um, we do sort of digital, digital appointments and online coaching sessions. So um, it, it's kind of tricky what's considered physical therapy and what's considered coaching. But we do, if wherever you are, we could do online coaching that is more, um, you know, just helping you understand uh, a, a 360 view and the physical therapy is a little bit more diagnosis um, medically related and there's some boundaries around that but but use us as a resource um, and there are a lot of people and you know I'm doing a lot more online and I'm trying to just give people resources so I'm all, always saying like hey read this book or um, look at this video um, you know I'm our Instagram um, and, and Facebook, there's just a lot of information. I just kind of keep trying to give everybody information so they see what lights them up and what's a spark, and then they can pursue that and get more information. But it's this the right information. It's all this n sort of new transition of um, uh, and not lo looking like sort of the old medical picture, and that's what you just need more information about. So if the old way wasn't working for you, then try out this new way. Yep. Get on a new train. All right, cool. So Kristen, we'll link to all of your, all those resources in the show notes. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show. As always, it was a great conversation. Thank you. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you got something from today's show, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.